Stanford University. Hi, it's, it's great to be here. Uh, it's great to see so many people interested in mood disorders on a Saturday. So um, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, uh, women and mood disorders. And um, let's see, I just, I have no financial disclosures to talk about. Uh, I'm going to talk about gender differences in the presentation of mood disorders, um, and then a little bit about medication side effects in women that are pertinent, and why this is important. So we all know that, you know, it's no secret that there are differences between men and women, boys and girls, but I think it wasn't so obvious to me that there necessarily would be differences in, in mood disorders, something so fundamental to, you know, the human experience, sadness, happiness, and, and even, you know, depression and mania. But certainly there are, there definitely are differences. So, so mood disorders can present differently um, in men and women. Um, one of the things I'll talk a, a lot about today are that um, for women in particular, times of hormonal change can be significant, uh, significantly risky times for the presentation of mood uh, symptoms and mood uh, episodes. And then again, there might be specific risks that women need to be concerned about with medications. So what are the, the gender differences? Um, women are twice as likely to have a depressive episode over their lifetime than men. They're more likely to present with um, what's called atypical depression. So that can look like, that can include increased appetite and weight gain as opposed to decreased appetite and weight loss, hypersomnia instead of insomnia. So too much sleeping instead of not sleeping enough. And an acute interpersonal rejection sensitivity that can be a mark of, of uh, an episode of depression. Women are more likely to have a seasonal pattern with the onset of uh, depression during the fall and winter. And women are more likely to present with symptoms of pain and or other physical symptoms as a manifestation of their depression. And in bipolar disorders, we know that bipolar one disorder occurs as commonly in women as it does in men. But bipolar two, which may have more of a predominance of depressive symptoms, occurs more commonly in women. And then um, as we were talking about mixed symptoms and mi mixed episodes, women are more likely to present with mixed symptoms. Um, and rapid cycling occurs more commonly in women. So, so why is it that women have higher rates of depression than men? So, one possibility is that it's artifact, that women may just be more likely to go to the doctor and present with mood symptoms and get diagnosed. Um, some of it might be psychological or psychosocial. So there's the idea that um, women may experience more environmental stress, such as physical or sexual abuse, um, role stress of motherhood and, and uh, significant role transitions. Women may also have what are called more depressogenic cognitions. So one example of that is that in times of stress or adverse events, women may be more likely to blame themselves, to internalize blame. Um, and um, not to be too glib or overgeneralized about it, but Erica John has a quote that speaks to this phenomenon a little bit. That she said, show me a woman who doesn't feel guilt, and I'll show you a man. And <laughs> a bit of. I don't necessarily believe that, but it speaks a little bit to, to that phenomenon that, that might explain a little bit of the higher prevalence of depression, which is, which is real. And then biological issues, so brain structure and function, um, reproductive hormone fluctuations, and we'll talk more about that. And then we also know, interestingly, that in times of, of major life stresses, if you look at both men and women, women are more likely to have a depressive episode in response to a major life stress than are men. 
Um, so this, this graph, this study shows a little bit of what I was talking about, that um, over the span of, 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 lifetime, of a lifetime, uh, females have a, a greater risk of developing depression than men. It's almost two to one. And what's interesting is that you can see that uh, up until the age of, you know, between nine and 10, the rates of depression amongst um, kids is pretty similar amongst boys and girls. And it changes rapidly after puberty. And it also appears that it, it kind of converges a little bit more after menopause. So there is this, this time period of risk seems to be particularly the case during the time of reproduct the reproductive years of a woman. And um, which is interesting in a sense because we also know, I mean, the, the, that, that kind of speaks to the idea that there's something about reproductive hormones that puts women at risk. We also know that, that estrogen exposure, the longer the estrogen exposure, the longer the time from a woman's first period to the onset of menopause, the less likely she is to have um, depressive episodes later. So there's something prote protective and helpful about estrogen, but at the same time, women have more mood disorders during time, reproductive years. And so one of the ideas about that is it's not really estrogen exposure itself, it's actually the hormonal fluctuations that potentially may put women at risk. Um, so there are specific mood disorders that are um, relevant to those times of, horm of hormonal change. So um, premenstrual mood disorders, so there, there are, uh, there's a rise and fall of estrogen and progesterone just before the menses, particularly a fall in progesterone. Um, postpartum, so there's a, there's a really rapid drop in estrogen levels after uh, childbirth. And then during the menopausal transition, which is a time from when um, periods start to become irregular and hormones start to fluctuate up until the point where me menstruation stops for over a year, which is menopause. And that period can last anywhere from five to 10 years. And um, so I'll talk a little bit about each of these. So premenstrual mood worsening, we talked a little bit about PMDD already, premenstrual dysphoric disorder which is um, just very generally, it's symptoms of depression, so sadness, irritability, insomnia, cognitive symptoms, um, and it may or may not include also just physical symptoms of PMS, and it occurs, in women with PMDD, it only occurs premenstrually. It may not meet full criteria for a major depressive episode, it probably won't, and then it improves after menses, and some of the treatments used for that include antidepressants, oral contraceptives, exercise, nutrition, but um, that should be distinguished a little bit from what we call premenstrual worsening of mood disorders. So women with bipolar disorder, major depressive disorder can also have, they, they, they can have mood episodes that aren't necessarily tied to the menstrual cycle, but they can also have worsening of their symptoms premenstrually as well. And, and what we try to do with those women is really just more aggressively treat the underlying mood disorder, although oral contraceptives in some cases can also be helpful. Um, just a word about contraception and uh, medications for mood disorders is women need to be aware that there are certain medications that can interfere with hormonal contraception, um, particularly um, carbamazepine to epiramate and even uh, modafinil, which, which um, um, can be used for a variety of purposes. Um, and then some other just general medication concerns in women, that some medications can cause menstrual irregularities and infertility due to effects that they have on hormones. Um, so valproate, risperidone are, are some examples. Um, 
hypothyroidism, lithium can, can uh, lead to hypothyroidism in both men and women, but it occurs more commonly in women. Bone density reduction, some medications have been implicated in um, bone, bone density reduction. We don't have any treatment guidelines around this at this point. And, um, but it just, for women who are at high risk for fractures, so postmenopausally, for example, there's just something that might be worth uh, talking to one's doctor about. And then some, valproate, for example, has been implicated in a rise in male hormones in women, which, again, can cause problems. So um, I'm just going to talk briefly about pregnancy and medication. Um, one thing to know is that all women during reproductive years are potentially prone to or could get pregnant, regardless of, of whether they're intending to or not. So it's always important to consider um, a woman taking any medication needs to be aware that she could get pregnant. And, um, and oftentimes, by the time one finds out they're pregnant, they've already had you know, four to eight weeks of exposure, which is exactly the time period during which organs are formed in the, um, in the fetus. And that's the high-risk period for birth defects. And certain medications that we use to treat mood disorders are, have a high risk of causing birth defects, valproate. Um, being a major culprit. So uh, basically, most of the side effects that are really relevant to women, valproate is a big, um, is a big culprit for a lot of them. Um, but you know, there are other ones that have either minor risks for birth defects or really rare risks. But they're things that women who are taking these medications should be aware of. Um, antidepressants have some potential risks. They're, they're low risk, and some of them are very uncommon, and some of them are controversial, but they do exist. Um, atypical antipsychotics and, um, can cause a risk for gestational diabetes. Um, both um, SSRIs and, and all antipsychotics can um, lead to what's called a neonatal uh, adaptation syndrome with some, some difficulties, at least in the first couple of weeks for, for newborn babies. And then we also found out that valproate can um, lead to lower IQs in children when they were exposed um, prenatally. And SSRIs have been implicated in the development of autism, but we're not entirely sure, and we need more data on that. Um, now, postpartum, again, is a really high-risk time for mood disorders. And this graph, sort of, this, uh, graph shows that uh, the number of hospitalizations in women over a time period. And you can see there's a huge spike right after pregnancy, um, indicating, again, that this is a high-risk time. And it's particularly so for women with bipolar disorder. The rates of mood relapse can reach up to 70%, particularly if they're not medicated. Um, it can, be, can present with either depression or mania, and sleep deprivation can be a huge trigger, and actually both for men and women postpartum for um, triggering manic episodes. And um, so some women may need to consider uh, you know, try, really aggressively trying to preserve their sleep, getting people in to, to help with childcare. Um, and there's also risk for postpartum psychosis. Uh, there are risks for... Uh, postpartum depression and major depressive disorder, and those risks go up with um, obstetrical problems, a history of mood disorders, anxiety or depression during pregnancy, and poor social supports at home. And um, OK, so I want to talk just a little bit about menopausal symptoms as well, because there's a big overlap between symptoms of menopause and symptoms of depression. So um, for example, both menopause and major depression may cause symptoms such as memory problems, loss of libido, 
energy loss, weight changes, sleep problems, and mood swings. And so, um, so sometimes it's hard to tease those apart necessarily when, when we're talking about a perimenopausal mood disorder. And um, while we think that mood symptoms are due to fluctuations in estrogen during the perimenopause, it's, there's also the idea that those fluctuations in estrogen can lead to hot flashes and insomnia and other symptoms which by themselves then go back and lead to perimenopausal mood and cognitive symptoms. So based on that, it's also reasonable to think that treating or trying to stabilize those estrogen levels with hormone replacement therapy might actually be enough to treat all of the above. And in fact, oops. Um, it, it is so that in some cases, estrogen alone can be helpful in treating um, mood symptoms during the perimenopause, but um, often estrogen plus antidepressants can be quite helpful in these situations, or antidepressants alone can be quite helpful, particularly given the risks that have, re have, have evolved over the past 10 years of, about the use of um, hormone replacement therapy. There's been sort of a less and less um, comfort with using, with using it. Um, it's also true that using estrogen replacement for depression seems to be particularly effective during the perimenopause, those transitional years, than postmenopause. Um, and then the role of HRT, estrogen, and bipolar disorder, there's, I don't think has been as well studied as it has in unipolar disorder. So um, and it, we need to sort of also be aware that estrogen itself can be very helpful for depression, but it may, there have been a lot of case reports where it can worsen mania. So um, in conclusion, so just to review, um, mood disorders can present differently between men and women, with women tending more towards having depressive symptoms. At-risk women may be particularly vulnerable to mood symptoms during times of hormonal change. So just to mention the at-risk part, not all women obviously have mood symptoms premenstrually or postpartum or during um, the perimenopause, but there's probably a certain subgroup of women who are exquisitely sensitive to these hormonal changes. Medications for mood disorders do have specific risks that women need to be aware of. No meds are completely safe during pregnancy, and then treatments such as estrogen have specific utility, obviously, primarily for women with uh, mood disorders. So, thank you. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.